Hi everyone, welcome to the Tell Your Story podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Rooms, and today we have with us a very special guest being my older sister, Alexia Rooms. Alexia is a former Division I, Division II recruit, as well as a current high-performance athlete strength and conditioning coach, although Alexia, I'm sure you're going to want to introduce yourself a little bit, so here's the floor. Alexia, why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself? Hi everyone, I'm Alexia Rooms. I'm a former soccer player from the age of three. I currently went to Western University and graduated with an honors kin degree. Unfortunately, I did not play soccer there, but when I was in the process of getting recruited to the States, I was a Division One, Division Two recruit. Currently, I get back to the sport by being a coach. I'm a coach at Future Girls Soccer, and I currently started my own brand called Female Soccer Fitness for high-level female soccer players who want to get to the next level with their fitness, soccer touches, and strength and conditioning. Alrighty, Alexia. So let's hop right into it and um, let's kind of start from the beginning of it all. So how did you get involved with soccer and what made you fall in love with it? So I started playing soccer at the age of three when my dad was like, let's play Timbit soccer, which was like for like three to four year olds. I didn't really fall in love with it at that time. I kept playing house league and I fell, started falling in love with it when I was asked to play at the all-star level from a coach from Aaron Mills since he saw me play in-house in-house league to transfer to the competitive level and that was just like a mini league like playing with girls my age around like seven to nine years old um then I stuck with that same team until I was around the age of 14 and I just started falling in love with the sport I was actually originally a striker but I realized that position wasn't for me and I almost quit the sport because of that because I'm mostly a perfectionist so when I was like not catching things quickly or my footwork was too slow, like I realized like this might not be the sport for me. So my coach was like, why don't you go play center back? And that was when I kind of took from dad's athletic ability, how he was like strong, agile, could jump really high. He was really tough. Um, I just kind of took those and started applying that to that position. So I was mostly a defender, which is the center back position. And that's when I started falling in love with the sport because I realized it was easy for me to read the game and read when to tackle and read when to clear the ball. And that's all I loved about the sport. And that's when I just kind of stuck to it. I realized this is my passion. Like, And I love the training aspect behind it, not just being on the field. Like, I love training. I love lifting. I love all that type of stuff that kind of went with the sport. So I like doing that stuff outside of it. So it kind of just all tied together. Okay, okay. That makes a lot of sense. And you mentioned that playing striker made you debate quitting the sport. Can you elaborate a bit more on what it's like to be involved with a sport that you love, but have kind of a toxic relationship with it because of misplacements and things like that? Yeah, so when I was striker, I realized like I didn't really know how to play the position. Like I didn't know how to read when to make runs or how to beat players 1v1 it just was not my strong suit and it in the game it can be really frustrating because sometimes you don't have the ball at your feet you don't get the ball all the time so it makes you think why am I just on the field just to run up and down and not even know what I'm doing and then once I trans like that toxic environment kind of made me think like I don't even know if I want to play this sport I didn't even know what a center back was until like I played in my first game and I was like this makes more sense Like, it just kind of, like, clicked for me, kind of like you with basketball. Like, it just kind of clicked, and then Mm -hmm. you realize, oh, this is something I should be doing. Yeah, okay. 
So now you also played basketball, correct? Right? Yeah, I played rep basketball for around four years, starting from grade nine. I was a late, late bloomer in that sport. Okay, and how was it like balancing two sports? Because I know you mentioned that you were a perfectionist. So with soccer being your main sport, basketball being the second sport, I'm assuming you put a bit more into soccer. What was it like on your mental health to be a perfectionist, but not being able to put complete focus into one singular sport? So basketball for me was kind of just like extra fitness for me. Like my best friend Kiana, Kiana asked me to play rep when I was in around grade seven and I played there with their team but I wasn't a starter on that team I was just kind of playing to play with her like the environment I love that team but then I realized I kind of want to branch out and play play by myself and see how I can play at like maybe a lower level because that team was a higher higher up level team and Kiana's sport was basketball first so I said I need to take it as seriously like I wanted to take soccer more seriously and the schedules didn't match up so when I played for a lower level, it kind of felt like it was just like a fitness thing for me. But then I started to actually love basketball because I got more training, like playing at that rep level. And to balance the two, I actually used to go play basketball at Oakville OBC from 6 to 7.30. Right away after that, my soccer practices at the time lined up right after. So I'd have to jet in my car, go right to oakville soccer club and do practice from 8 to 10 every tuesday thursday and friday so it was that was a lot with school at the time because it was hard to balance but then again like at that time i was really getting into fitness training so i saw it as being like playing two sports is going to increase my fitness level for soccer when soccer is like you don't come off the field for pure 90 minutes so yeah i kind of just balanced the two and then from a mental perspective it was frustrating because it felt like by the time I got to soccer, I was already tired, so it was, I couldn't perform at my best for practices. But I just kind of took it as what it is. And at the end of the day, it did help increase my fitness level and my speed, especially. Especially because the two sports kind of align in terms of movement from a center back and the defensive shuffles and all that in basketball. So I kind of just took the two and tied them together. And once that clicked, like I enjoyed playing both at the time. Yeah, and you you highlighted a good point there with the idea that having a secondary sport that's complementary to your primary sport can be a really beneficial situation for an athlete. Yeah, it is. And um, my next question is more with regards to the physical toll on your body and how you dealt with that because that's a lot of sports in one day, that's a lot of sports in a week, and then that adds up. And, you know, how did you deal with that? toll on your body and how did that affect your mental health um the physical toll I could definitely feel that in me being tired more than usual and that kind of affected my mental health because then the comes waking up for school at 7 30 and you just don't want to wake up but you just kind of got to push through like the physical toll I would just usually stretch at home or try and take care of my body as much as possible like ice and make sure I'm not overdoing it especially with outside training outside of the two sports, because then I feel like at the end of the day, your muscles don't grow or they don't progress if you don't take rest. So I would just rest as much as possible on the days I didn't have anything. It would just be like light cardio or light lift session. But mentally, like I find I was in a pretty okay spot. Like I liked playing, playing two sports because I didn't have to just put all my energy into one thing. Like it was more like it was 
multiple things that I could like focus on rather than just focus on just soccer I feel like that would have made me hate the sport if I'm being honest like I like the balance between the two and also playing school sports as well like I like the variety because then like it's just you get to put your skills into different things rather than focus on one and it made soccer more exciting for me because I actually like missed it when I was playing basketball so I look forward to going to practice rather than just doing the same sport over and over again Okay, so you found that playing multiple sports allowed you to find a deeper love for your primary sport. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And now you mentioned earlier that you were a Division One, Division Two recruit. Can we kind of go into your recruitment process and how it all started, what you were doing? Um, I remember, you know, me being your brother, I was obviously there throughout it all. You were invited to a lot of camps, so... Can you touch on all that kind of stuff and run through the whole nine, basically, and then also how you ended up at Western University? Yeah, so I decided I wanted to go play soccer in the States in around grade nine, which is actually late for recruits. Like, for basketball, you know how some kids get recruited in, like, grade seven, grade eight. Like, for soccer, yeah. grade nine is late to even be recruited, so I decided I wanted to play in grade ten. That's when I had to mostly give up basketball because you have to put all your energy into that. Like, that's just the grind of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was with a recruiting company, and they just kind of blast your profile through. And I got invited to a lot of camps. And I decided I wanted to play D1. But I never queued out D2. Like, I was like, I, I wanted to play either, like, one or the other. It was never really D3. But D2, to me, wasn't the worst option in the world. Like, I would have played D2. Um, so I just went to a lot of recruitment camps. Played there, um, talked to a lot of coaches on email, sent out my game tape. And my teams at the time were doing a lot of showcase tournaments. So they kind of knew who I was by handing out my profile and stuff at those showcase tournaments. Like, even though I was playing with a team, like, just so coaches can see you from the sidelines. Yeah. Um, and then, unfortunately, in grade 10, no, sorry, grade 9, going into grade 10, I, no. Grade 10, grade 10, I tore my ACL um, playing soccer, playing school soccer, actually, in high school. And this girl kicked me from behind and it kind of popped out. And that was probably one of the worst moments in my athletic career, you could say, because an ACL, like you hear the pop, like your kind of your life kind of flashes before your eyes, like because that recovery is not easy. It's around nine to 12 months. That's out of your sport for a whole year. So I tore it then. I went through rehab. I was still sending out game tape and all that. I recovered. I was fine. And then grade 11, I tore it again playing rugby. And that's when it was kind of like, what am I going to do now? But in between that, between between uh, after my ACL the second time, I still went to recruitment camps. I still I wore the brace. I was fine. I went to St. Leo University, which is D2. They were heavily recruiting me. I met the coach, did that camp. Um, that was an experience because I like that campus was beautiful. Um, I was about to commit to there, and then I tore my ACL for the third time. Um, then I realized I couldn't, there's no way I could play after that. Because as you go on, you just realize you're not the same player. Even though I worked hard to be the same player I was before any of my knee injuries, and it's just, you just don't know what's going to happen when you get on the field. Like, giving out, like, your knee giving out or you getting tackled the wrong way. Like, it's a mental barrier. So I decided just to 
leave the sport altogether, and I went to Western for kin. And, yeah, that's where we're at today. So, you talked about, at the end there, the mental barrier. And, honestly, I, I couldn't imagine what it would feel like to go through three ACLs tears while trying to actively progress your career to higher levels. So, if you can, can you touch on the the mental toll that those three tears had on you and especially around the third one when it was kind of like almost feels repetitive, I would assume. Yeah. So if you can, can you touch on that? Yeah. So do you remember in, when I tore my ACL the first time and you gave me that book that said, keep calm and carry on? Yeah. Yeah. Like you gave like that book, you gave me that book and you told me to write down stuff I was feeling. Uh, and being on that couch with the big cast, you realize, like, I don't know if I'm ever going to get out of this cast. Or I don't know if I'm ever going to be the same player I was. Because the minute you have ACL surgery, you lose all your muscle mass. In your, and it was on my kicking leg. So I lost a lot of muscle mass, and it was hard to recover from that. Because at that point, I was training so much that I thought, honestly, this is the fittest I've ever been. Like, nothing can get in my way. Like, this is the fittest I've ever been. I went to the gym. I was training in the mornings before high school at like 6 a.m. at SST. I was like, this is this is what I want to do with my life, like all for this one sport. And it kind of just gets taken away from you and you think, I'm never going to come back from this. And it was the first moment when I stepped into the gym again for the first time. With my cast on, I went to go, I went to SST and I was like, this is weird because I'm in crutches, but... Um, the trainers there were like, nope, you're going to do arms. So I was doing upper body with my cast on at SST. And I realized, you know what, maybe I could progress, maybe, I don't know. And then once you start getting the clearing from the physio over the months and months, you realize you're getting range of motion back. So it's like, maybe I could be the athlete I was, but it's a, it's a mental barrier because you couldn't lift as much weight as you could. Or I don't know if I'm ever going to have my touch back, especially because soccer, you need that repetitive touch at the age I was for muscle memory to be able to progress and once I just started getting more touches it was it was getting better but in the back of my head it was always like I just don't know if it's going to be as strong as it was before especially with my position because as a defender you need to tackle as hard as possible so if you mm -hmm. get tackled the wrong way like especially when my knee was so vulnerable it's over no yeah I I couldn't honestly understand what it would be like to have especially in your scenario where soccer is such a heavy toll on your legs and your knees and exactly the acl being basically the the holding placement of your knee i'm assuming i don't really yeah, know the it's exact like um, if, it's like you, you tear acl from deceleration and like turning mm -hmm. so if you're sprinting and you suddenly stop and cut the go the other way which yeah. is what soccer is you don't know what's going to happen. And women soccer players are way more prone to ACL injuries than any other sport. Mm -hmm. So it's always like a fear in the back of your mind. I just never thought it would happen to me. Like it was really random when it happened to me. So it was kind of like just a shock. Yeah. And now can you touch on your decision to go to Western and what it was like to be in a position where you wanted to go to university to play soccer and then unfortunately, or not unfortunately, honestly, but making the decision to go to Western but not for soccer. Yeah, so that was probably the hardest decision I've ever had to make was giving up something you love. Um, I never saw... I was always a student athlete, so I never really just knew how to be, like, a student. 
without having something to train for. So Mm -hmm. I was never that girl to just go to the gym to go to the gym. Like I was always training for something. So I felt like I had a good balance. So it kind of just got crushed. And going to Western for, I chose Kin because it's still related to sports in some way because it's all about movement, training and all that. So I love my program. I loved being a student, but at the same time, it was hard to see like the varsity jacket around campus and like girls Mm -hmm. always training, going to the field and you can't, you're just kind of going to class and then going home. Like, so I kind of steered away from the gym, if I'm being honest. Like, I didn't work out for around three years because it just, honestly, it just hurt. Like, it hurt. I didn't know what to do because I wasn't training for something that I love so much. Like, I didn't even look at a soccer ball for around three years because it's like, like, there's no point. Like, what am I going to do with it? You kind of know. So I just, like, did my grades. I kind of slumped first year because I was really upset that I couldn't play the sport I was. So that kind of took a toll on my grades. But I came back after that second year. I made Dean's List in third and fourth year and graduated with honors. Like, that's a big accomplishment for me, but I just wish I was playing at the same time. No, yeah, I completely understand that. And it's honestly great that you were able to recuperate yourself and um, move forward past that hard time. But you brought up a good point about something that a lot of former athletes deal with in the sense of living your whole life with uh, your personality being, I'm a soccer player, yeah, I'm an like athlete. Your identity. Exactly. And then when you lose it, you kind of lose who you are. And that can be really tough. And I, based off of what you're telling me, it, it, was, it was a hard time. But to hear that you were able to get through it and push forward is, is honestly something that's truly amazing because there's a lot of people that weren't able to do that. So now that we've kind of went through your beginnings, your recruitment processes, and um, the ACLs, let's kind of talk about what you're doing now because what you're doing right now is actually something that I find to be truly inspiring. Thank you. And that it's, it's amazing that you were able to find your way back into the sport. So could you talk about how you got involved with Future Girls Soccer and how you were able to stem out and start your own company being Future uh, Female Soccer Fitness. Yeah, so Future Girls Soccer, so I never saw Future Girls coming, if I'm being honest. Like, so there's a coach who owns Future Girls Soccer, her name's Michelle, who works out at SST, and I remember meeting her when I was around in, like, grade 8, like, when I was young, and I never really saw her again until... My mom messaged and was like, oh, there's a chance to coach soccer, like, with Michelle and Kim at Future Girls. And I was like, what's Future Girls? And I kind of steered away from it. I was like, there's no way. Like, I don't know if I could be a coach. Like, I never want to be a coach. Like, it's not going to happen. But then I realized maybe I can just, like, coach house league. Like, it'll be, like, a chill job. I went, and honestly, it's it was the best experience ever because it was female role models inspiring female players. So only female coaches, which I never got when I was playing. That also can take a mental toll on athletes if you don't have a good coach. So I was like, maybe I can be that person for these younger girls who are just learning to play the game. Like, And that got me touching the ball again, and it was like the best feeling in the world because I could take what I learned from the sport when I was playing and apply it to younger kids who are looking up to you to like teach them something they love. So I kind of like saw myself in them, and I just took that to my coaching style. And I was doing house league with them, and then... They asked me to do competitive, so I was coaching competitive um, Friday night footwork and Saturday fitness and still doing house league. I would even drive back from Western just to come back and coach because I loved it that much. 
And then I started, um, like, started thinking about the fitness part of it. So I kind of still steered away from the gym. I didn't really go back until I started doing some mini fitness at Future Girls, like, with some of, like, the house league players or, like, yeah. some of the rec, pl- rec players. And then I realized, like, well, a lot of girls in this game aren't, learn- aren't taught to be explosive. Explosive, I mean, be aggressive. A lot of them play, like, if you could say too nice. And, like, soccer players, girl soccer players have the ability to be aggressive and be intense. Like, they shouldn't be afraid to do that. So I was, like, honestly, when I was playing, that's all I could think about was being aggressive and intense. It was always at practice. Lexi, tone it down. Like, it's just practice. But it's, like, what's the point in toning it down? Like, I'm here to work, aren't I? So I just kind of started female soccer fitness because I realized, like, female soccer players need to learn that they need to get on the field and be able to play for 90 minutes at their max effort and be able to jump, run, and be agile while with and without the ball. So that's how I started that, that brand. And yeah, that's where we are at today. Alrighty, and now you brought up a point there about how a lot of, you said a lot of female athletes, they don't, they're not explosive or this and that. I was going to ask about the, the concept of, and it's, it's outdated, but it's it's still very much so alive today with a lot of people putting pressure on female athletes to still act ladylike yeah, while playing the that's sport. that's true. Yeah, exactly. Like, you can't... That, that perception should not even be a thing if you kind of think about it. Like, if you're trying to go get recruited to play D1 or D2, the girls in the States are massive. Mm-hmm. Like, here, they're not as massive. They're more technical. Yeah. So, when I would go to camps in the states like i was like wow these girls are huge but like they like i actually play like them like it was like an eye-opener it was like oh i'm not actually being too intense or aggressive like this is how the game is played and that's kind of like what well from a center back's perspective like when i saw like when i went to st leo and the center back was six three and i'm only like five three and i was like yeah (laughs) five like she's six three and she plays like a bowl like I was like that's what I want to be like even though I'm short I could still like do that like it's like it's an eye-opener so that's what I want to kind of like bring here for that perspective because honestly you cannot be nice in this game you want to stand out on the field so you need to be that person that's always hustling being aggressive being strong using your body to win the ball yeah yeah and at the end of the day honestly sports are sports you know what i mean there's no such thing as gender when it comes to sports exactly there's no way to act Uh, a male soccer player and a female soccer player should both be playing with the same intensity as long as they both have the same goals exactly and it's honestly it's really great to hear that you put a, a a focus into empowering young girls to kind of abandon that idea of always being ladylike because in truth that's a that's a really outdated concept it shouldn't have been so a concept outdated. in the first place anyways exactly. but you know you were able to go through such a traumatic experience with your acl injuries and then find your way back to the sport and not only come back to it but you came back to it with a positive attitude you came back to it with an idea of empowerment which a lot of people if they were to return to the sport they'd return to it with a bitter taste in their mouth because of their past experiences especially in your case you know what i mean touching a soccer ball must have been traumatic all the memories running through your head exactly but it like i said yeah it's, it's great to hear that you're able to do that 
this brings me to my kind of like my final questions here where what are your goals for the future with female soccer fitness and how are you planning to achieve them? So my goals for female soccer fitness is to build it. Like right now it's really small because it just it's only been around like a year and I've almost because of COVID I've mostly been doing it through virtual so it's it's a it's a better base with athletes being able to go into your sessions because Zoom is unlimited like you can have as many athletes as you want but also a lot of people don't want to train on Zoom so Mm -hmm. but I want to build it and hopefully like have a lot of camps in the summer or even in the winter like explosive agility camps for senior athletes so girls around from 13 to like university age and um also like bringing more ball work to it like combining them like on monday nights in hamilton i do a dynamic duo program which is half skills half fitness and like those i want to add more of because you get a taste of both you get a taste of fitness with the ball and fitness without the ball and like you just get that like group setting of like passing combinations footwork and shooting and like even like i like to include a lot of explosive training into with the ball like jumping over sticks like quick check movements like all that type of stuff um and hopefully build it i also do private and one-on-one training so i hopefully can build those as well and like start making small groups of like athletes that i train train together and stuff like that and my dream with this is also to have a center back specific program because that's the position i know like is dear to my heart and like that would be like a dream of mine to have like a center back specific program for center backs who wanted to take it to the next level. Um, yeah, that's mostly it. And for me, I'm thinking of going back to play if like the COVID rules allow. Um, hopefully, sometime in the future, maybe within the next couple months. To play soccer again? Yeah. That's honestly. <laughs> I definitely, I, I'm your brother, and I wasn't even expecting you to say that at all. <laughs> I had no idea. But that makes me honestly really happy because returning to the sport is, it can be hard. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, it's hard. But you were able to find your way again. You were able to completely rebuild yourself after losing yourself. And now you can put yourself in a position to return to the sport that you love with that same love before all the ACLs and all of that stuff. Yeah. And, you know, with that being said, honestly, I have no more questions left for you, Alexia. This is the end of the podcast, but certainly not the end of the Alexia Room story. (laughs) Thank you for coming on to the show. Thank Thank you you. for having me. No problem. (laughs) Thank you for, you know, coming here, sharing your story, empowering young women, young girls. You know what I mean? Everything that you do, I completely and utterly support. And with that being said, anyone who wants to contact alexia or keep up with their story get involved with her programs or anything like that i will be providing her contact information all of her social media platforms but yeah with that being said thank you for listening this is the end of the tell your story podcast i'm your host daniel rooms have a great day